Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. The market is always good if you can find a way to provide and add value to it. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We get straight to the good stuff that moves your real estate investing business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad author, and many others. And with us, we have the number one producing REMAX agent in Utah, since 2012, Steve Bond. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, Joe. Yeah, my pleasure. Really, really looking forward to our conversation. So a little bit about Steve, and then he'll get into his background in more detail. He is the broker owner of Remax Equity, which is based in Provo, Utah. He's the founder of FIG, which stands for Fourplex Investment Group. Year to date, 
So since today is December the 31st, um, it's basically all of 2015, unless you do some sales towards uh, the end of today. He has sold, him and his team have sold $90 million worth of property. And you can say hi to him and his team at figfig.us. With that being said, Steve, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Joe. So my background, born and raised Mesa, Arizona, got married at the young age of 21, uh, moved around from Utah, then up to Seattle, and then I decided I wanted to leave the corporate world and get into real estate. I always thought that I would be in real estate investing. So started my career in real estate in January of 2007, right before this market completely changed on all of us and while it was collapsing and was constantly looking for better ways to do real estate. Built my regular residential sales business, built a team. I was actually a full-time student at Brigham Young University while I was doing that. And uh, since 2012, was number one in production, been really blessed in that way and found some ways to uh, treat the market great and it's returned the favor. And uh, so now we, we've started this fourplex investment group. We do new construction development. Essentially, they're planned unit development or townhome communities that we plat as multi-units. So duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes and sell them off in bulk to investors. We build them for them. And then they have great performing rental property in a, a really healthy market, which is Utah. And we're now branching out to Texas. We have a development in Houston and are looking to go really anywhere in the nation that has the right market economics for us to grow. Very interesting. So many questions. Um, we're we're going to cover questions on all the most of those things that you just mentioned. Let's start with you were going to BYU and you were building your team and you started in real estate in 2007. So when were you at BYU? So I started actually, I got my license to practice real estate in January of 2007 and I started full-time as a BYU student the same exact week. Wow. And were you a non-traditional student or how old are you? So I'm, I'm now 34. That was nine years ago. So I was 25 at the time, two kids. Uh, now we have five. So I was just a, you know, a young dad and trying to pull off starting a real estate business in school at the same time. How did you build the team and how big was the team by the time you graduated? Unfortunately, Joe, I dropped out. <laughs> so <laughs> three, three and a half years I, of the, I was going to say, you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was doing the whole real estate grind, building a business. We had uh, a buyer agent and a full-time assistant. And I, I kept on thinking I could hire away the growth to allow myself the time to finish the degree. And uh, at one point, you know, we were doing really well and selling close to 75 homes a year at that time. And uh, it it just came a time where I just had to pick and choose. And in school was the least return on investment. And so that went to the wayside with only 30 credits left. So now I'm I'm obviously full-time into the real estate development and and sales world. All right. So you were at BYU, you're a full-time student and then growing your, your company. At what point, I mean, 2007 is a tricky part to be starting your real estate career. How did you, how, how did your business growth, um, how, what was what was the results of it during the, the 2008, 2009 period? Did you increase? Did you decrease? Yeah, I actually increased. I, I haven't had a year that hasn't been more in production from the year prior since I started. And the key is just always trying to be relevant. The market is always good if you can find a way to provide an add value to it. And so, 
when the market was tanking, I had to really hone in my skills on what a distressed property value proposition was as a realtor uh, to be able to, to master the short sale process and to gain listings and trust with the market that you would be the one that could get it done and help them avoid foreclosure. I also started building up banking relationships to do REOs and sell them and, and tried to always look for ways that as buyers were entering the market, which they were scared and so slow to make decisions at the time, um, finding the good deals that they could actually end up and, and, and get a good long-term buy and hold. So the market's good, again, if you can find a way to be relevant. Once the, the uh, sky stopped falling and things started turning around, how did you become relevant uh, at that point? We had already started making our shift. Uh, basically, the goal for, for my vision in real estate is to always see the market out about two years as much as you can with the key indicators. And so I'm constantly tracking job growth and, and in what sectors it's growing. Uh, I'm looking at supply and demand on the market on a quarterly basis. And then I go back three years on what the behavior was like those last three years every quarter. And, and that way, I can see where we're at on the trend line. And, and with real estate being about a seven-year cycle, you can forecast your business model and what you're putting your focus in a year to two years in advance to make sure that you're building your system for what's coming next. And so um, what we did is at the end of 2011, there was no multi-unit families available. And yet I had all these investors starting to sense and smell the blood in the water that maybe it was a good time to pick up the buy and hold because the rental population was growing so fast and yet the supply was not there. And so I sat with my builder developer partner, his name is Mike Miller with Volk Coleman Construction. And we, we looked at the market and there were seven total multifamily units in the entire market in our county, which is nothing. And they were old and dilapidated and uh, the cap rate, performing cap rate on them would have been like five or 6%, which is just not an incredible cap rate for our market. And so what we did is started changing our model to do new construction and to find areas where we could build the multifamily. And I sent out an email to my database and within 30 days had sold out nine fourplexes with just an email and pre-sold them, um, put the plans together and they got their construction loans and we built their investment. And so we thought, well, if we can do that in 30 days, what can we do if we have a bigger project? And that was the beginning of our business model change into a new construction multifamily. You mentioned you always try to see the market out about two years in advance based on certain KPIs, and then you got got specific with job growth and supply and demand. What, what even more granularly, uh, what numbers do you look for uh, when you look at job growth, and where do you find those? What resource do you use? And same with supply and demand. Yeah, excellent. So there's a few things. It depends on what the market's doing. But as far as job growth, you know, there's the money has really chased the uh, natural resources economy throughout the nation. But what's scary about that is it's so boom and bust. It's so dramatic. And it's hard to forecast because you can't stay in control of it. It's not like supply and demand. It's a regulation change away from being another bust or another boom. And so what I like to track is markets that have more key indicators of STEM jobs, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We found that the, uh, the economy grows exponentially when you get good STEM growth. 
And so Utah, with all the research that we've done and the, the MSA research by Business Insiders and Forbes and business schools, shows that we've got low unemployment. Uh, we're hovering between 3.5% and 3%, and, and that the job growth as far as the income level is growing and it's across several sectors because the STEM jobs tend to create jobs that, that want uh, sideline jobs, so service industries and warehousing and uh, things like that to help support their job growth as well. And then what about supply and demand? Oh, supply and demand, I've, I've used just the MLS, the local MLS, because we don't go into the commercial arena uh, we try and keep everything four units or below to keep the best financing options available and the biggest pool of buyers in the marketplace. And so we look at the MLS for supply and demand over the last, we can go actually up to about 15 years. And you just look at the quarterly, what's active, what's under contract and what's sold in each city, county, price point, and then product type. And you can tell exactly what's happening in that supply and demand for that segment. And when you look at, so say we, we pull up uh, in the MLS, what's active, what's under contract, what's sold, and it's based on, you said the search is city, county, price point, and what else? So you can do product type. So if you're looking at single family, you can go into single family, three bed, two baths, or you could say single family luxury. You really want to, you want to get pretty specific on it because if you're an investor that has or a realtor, or whatever, whatever niche you have, you want to find something specific to be an absolute expert at. Because if you just track the market generally, and then you take a specific path with your business model, you may completely miss the trend. And so for my purposes, I'm going to track single family generally, because it helps me understand what the, the market temperature is like for buyers and sellers. But I'm going to get very specific on multifamily analysis because that's my real target audience. What is the fourplex market doing? What is the, the duplex market doing in every single city and every county of the markets that I'm going to be going after? And when you do that search, you've got the active, the under contract and sold pulled up. Um, then what do you do with that information? Do you put it in an Excel spreadsheet and then compare it six months later with what's on the market or is there like a button that you can push and, and I'm not a real, a realtor. So I, that, that's oh, why okay. I'm asking this question. Yeah. Great question. Um, so in our, in our MLS system, it's really easy. I mean, you put it in and it'll show you, you, you select the years back that you want to go for your history and it just pulls up the graph automatically. So I can tell, for example, this year, and I'm, I'm just going to throw up some number examples. There's 20 active multi-units in Utah County. Last year, there was 15 active multi-units and multi-family. And the year before, there was 10 active multi-units, multi-family. So I've got double the supply in the last three years. So I'm trending up in supply as far as active. But that doesn't tell the whole story if I show that in those same quarters, if the sales stay the same, then I've got a supply and demand issue that shows that the market's softening. If the sales have gone up, and now today I have 20, but there's 50 under contract, that would tell me that there's actually increased supply and there's not or increased demand and there's not near enough supply to meet that demand that's coming into our market. That makes sense. At what point, where, where's the threshold for you where it's it's still okay, it's still okay, and oh, it just crossed the line to 
now it's uh, oversaturated and we need to take a different approach. Yeah. So there's a couple other reports you can look at as well. Uh, HUD goes around to every major market or metropolitan market and does research on vacancy rates. And it'll also look at when a new product is built in different segments. So let's say it's a 200 plus unit development, how long it takes to get to full occupancy. And so if you have that kind of data to say what absorption new developments are getting in your marketplace, and then can go and find out how many permits are being pulled or how many new units would be coming to the market, you can tell what your risk factor is. Because if I just look at the last six months of supply and demand, and yet the market's going to double in inventory, um, we may be sitting with another 2007 with a lot of built doors that no one's living in them. And so you have to track the permits in cities as well as to what's on the market that's going to be coming to know what your competition will be. Where do you uh, find that? Do you call just call up the uh, the county and ask them, or is there a more scalable way? Yeah, you're just going to call the county and talk to the city planners and talk about what the projects that they've approved or what if, what's come across their table and what stage of the game it's at. And then it depends on every community, really, because some of those governments are really transparent and tech-savvy where they have it all published. Others, you're calling up someone in the, you know, in a back room that's been doing it for 30 years, and, and that one individual, he or she's going to know the answer right off the top of their head, but they're never going to publish it online. And so it's about knowing your local market enough to just start digging and getting answers. Because uh, at the end of the day, whether you're the investor or you're the, the realtor representing an investor, those, those questions have to be answered to, to protect and take care of your fiduciary responsibility, either for yourself or for your client. And you mentioned absorption rate for, you know, basically how long does it take to get to full occupancy? Where do you get that information? Is that from that HUD report or is that, again, having a conversation or pulling it somewhere else? Yeah, it goes by the HUD report in the markets that we've been building because we've actually stayed really hyper-local in Utah in two different counties. Um, we've been able to go off of our track records as well and say that within six months, all of our projects have been at 96% occupancy. And so... We can track that on our own projects locally. Going into new markets, we just have to do market research and start calling apartment complexes, asking at what percentage occupancy they're at, if they have waiting lists, or if they're sitting with 20% vacancy. And then we can talk to their city planners and talk about what's coming on the market as well. So a lot of it is just time on the phone and time doing homework online to find out what's going on in that market. And what's the name of that HUD report? You know, I don't know the exact name of it. I usually have just Googled uh, HUD Housing Report or HUD MSA Housing Report. I cannot think of the name of it off the top of my head. I'd have to look that up and get it back to you. Yeah, no biggie, no biggie. Uh, is it uh, the Housing Scorecard? No, I don't believe that's actually the name of it. You know what? If you could shoot me an email afterwards and with that link, um, and then I'll post it in the show notes. Would that be okay? Yeah, you bet. I'll do that. Okay, cool. All right. Well, Steve, what is your what's your approach whenever you uh, are are doing new construction, or rather, not what, but why new construction, um, and what was the learning curve? And you mentioned the need for in the marketplace, but uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could approach uh, filling a need, and uh, you chose new construction, and that's a whole different uh, type of of real estate game. Um, why that and what have, what have been the challenges? Yeah, absolutely. 
so the first, you know, the first problem came from what was available in the marketplace was fourplexes or duplexes that were built in the 1960s and 70s. And the problem with those was that they were incredibly worn down. Uh, they hadn't been maintained. And even if you were to go in and renovate and fix them up, most likely they were going to be surrounded by another fourplex that was not maintained. And so your ability to capture a quality tenant that was coming into these new jobs that the market was providing them wasn't great. You were just going to capture the same tenant, low income or subsidized housing, which is fine, but that's not the target audience we had. And so what we looked at was if we can build a new fourplex and put it in a planned unit development where an HOA is going to control the exterior insurance, painting of the outside, the landscaping, snow removal, garbage pickup, and enforce certain rules, that allowed our investors to buy with confidence knowing that they didn't have to worry about those things. So really, they just had paint and carpet on the inside, and they had a completely turnkey investment, which opened up our market to investors all over the nation, and even outside of the nation has invested with us to buy a fourplex that they could completely trust. The integrity of it would maintain its value over the years. And then what's the big challenge? I'm sure you've come across many, but with new construction, what have you what, what have you seen? So a big thing is that it's the most imperfect process out there. There's variables all over the place because relying on hundreds of people per development. And so some of the challenges are timing. We pre-sell our development. So we'll do 190 doors or 200 doors in a development. And most of it is all pre-sold with the buyers getting their own construction loan. So there's a lot of moving parts and lining up the title companies and the construction lenders and the subcontractors so that there's as much transparency as possible to alleviate that risk and fear in the buyer's mindset and make it a smooth process for them for their investment. Steve, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Uh, Keep yourself relevant. The best thing is to understand that if if it's about just you, then you're never going to be relevant because you're looking at a a mirror and only seeing yourself. If you can step up to the top of the highest point in your market and look down and say, there is something that I can do anything with, what is the best, highest and best use that I can do to provide value to this community, you will stay relevant, you'll be rewarded, and you're going to help a lot of people along the way. Love it, love it, love it. Wow. I, that that is that's that's something that um, if we all, as you said, just kind of step up to the highest point in our market and take a look to see where we can add the most value, uh, then we'll always be relevant. And and you certainly have uh, lived and breathed that. So it's 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 really cool to um, to hear your story. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast. The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast. Best ever book you've read? Good to great. It's it's just, it's a staple in the library. I've gone back to it time and time again. It looks like a Bible as far as its reference charts and the cross references and 
I've uh, tagged that book up, used it in presentations. I live by it. Good to great is crucial. And what's one thing you've taken away from that book? It's about the people. It's about having the right vision, understanding the vision first, and then ensuring that the people that you bring onto your team have the same vision and are going to fit their role perfectly, that they're passionate about their skill set, they mastermind it, so you never have to micromanage. You simply give people the wings that are passionate about flying and let them go. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it? Ooh, you know, I've, I've had several. I would say that the pet, I have my personal growth experiences is combined into a lot of experiences and that if you're going to fail, any person that's successful in this life has failed as many times as they succeeded and it's that you fail forward. Learn from your mistakes, find ways to improve, and don't ever set your sights down from your vision. Keep your sights high and just keep plowing forward and you'll get there. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I did is partnering with Mike Miller. Uh, my partner with FIG, his vision and his uh, understanding of how to add value to situations has taught me tremendously. So I would say my best deal was in people, not in uh, real estate transactions. And it's resulted in many phenomenal real estate transactions. But it was with the person, which was Mike Miller. And what type of uh, skill sets, you mentioned the, the value-add vision, but as far as breaking it down to responsibilities what are you responsible for and what is he responsible for so mike is responsible for getting the developments through um envisioning the right floor plans that can provide a value add for our investors and then he gets it through the city so it can be an approved project and then goes and manages all of the crews the subcontractors everything he's the general contractor the developer builder my role is in the marketing keeping our brand strong um the, the consumer experience begins and ends with me uh, and then the marketing of getting the word out and selling and transacting the uh, the fourplexes. So as far as that relationship, that's where it begins and ends. And when you first started working with him, was there an agreement in writing that you did or did it naturally evolve and you just uh, kind of worked on it on a deal by deal basis? Yeah, it's <laughs> this is we're the worst businessmen in the world when it comes to that. It's a handshake and it's an absolute trust, and uh, uh, it's very fluid. It's transaction by transaction. What's the best thing for the deal? Both of us look at the business as what's best for our consumer, which is our investor that's buying with us, and or those investors that are helping back projects, the private money partners that we bring in. Those are the clients that we both care so much about. We never have had to be concerned with each other because we're after the same exact goal, which is what's the best for the project, what's the best for the clients, and then we just make that happen. Best ever way you like to give back? Ooh, great question. It can be both little and big. We've been really pretty blessed financially, and so uh, we like to tip high every time we go to restaurants if it's good service. Um, I like to give back by giving people opportunities to grow so if I see really good talent but someone that's underpaid and doesn't realize how valuable they could be to the marketplace and to themselves um, we give them opportunities to grow within a different organization and then we like to contribute to different charities and Habitats for Humanity and housing organizations and we both contribute a good chunk to our churches What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Biggest mistake? That should come a little quicker I apologize <laughs> <laughs> I paid my fair share. Um, 
you know, I've had a time or two where I just got selfish. And the biggest mistake was being short-sighted, not seeing the big picture. Um, that's so easy to do. Um, there's times where I have just simply thought a little too much about myself. And I find that the more I care about other people, uh, the less I ever have to worry about myself. And so I would say the biggest mistakes is the times where I just get too selfish. What, what's an example of that so we can learn that lesson along with you? Yeah, you bet. So um, trying to get a deal done and you have someone else on the other end that just keeps on grinding and grinding and grinding because they're, they're one of those negotiators that only wins when there's blood in the water. And so sometimes dealing with that person, quite honestly, I just simply, uh, the hair on the back of my neck stands up and I start fighting uh, because I just hate to uh, see a selfish, uh, selfish deal happen. Mm-hmm. And the reality is I need to step back and talk about the deal first uh, help that under that person understand where the value is for them and sit back and help them get the win they want uh, without hurting people. And so when I when I fight, the deal falls apart completely uh, and then no one wins instead of just sitting back and not not getting wrapped up in the emotion of the negotiation and and, and finding out the true needs of help, helping that person win. And Steve, lastly, what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? So fig.us, not .com, fig, F-I-G, .us, and uh, you can reach me on there. All my contact information is on there. I would love to work with you. What's that fig.com? There is no .com. I don't know one .com, actually, but it wasn't available, and I got the domain name. Oh, nice. There you go. (laughs) Oh, you know, I just got to it. It's it's an insurance. Lower your insurance claims and boost your employee wellness. (laughs) There you go. You're at the wrong one, then. I got the wrong one. Yeah, fig.us. Steve, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about how you are focused on always adding value in the market and identifying where that value will be two years from today uh, on a consistent basis. And two indicators that you look at job growth and supply and demand with job growth your focus is on uh, stem jobs and with that you said there's a lot of of service industries and warehouses and things that spin off of those so really the uh, as you said the economy grows exponentially when you have stem growth s-t-e-m growth and as far as the supply and demand uh, you use your local mls for supply and demand and, and see the comparison between active under contract and sold properties based on your specific property type. Um, that's an important point. Uh, and then you compare that to previous years and then you, you see where the trends are, are headed and, and how you need to uh, shift your focus, if at all. And then with the HUD report, uh, you'll send me, uh, uh, you'll share that with me, and I'll post in the show notes page. Or my team will post in the show notes page, so we'll have that. Best ever listeners, you just go to show notes page, and you'll you'll magically uh, have it already. And the challenges that you've come across with new construction, uh, and the the book, the the book, good to great, the two lessons, and you've lived them clearly uh, through through your your career first is understand the vision and then bring people on your team who align with your vision and fit their role perfectly. Um, And then, as you said, you don't have to micromanage because they're just naturally into whatever they're doing and they see where we're all headed together. 
Um, also interesting to hear about how you partner with uh, your your business partner Mike Miller, and who's also I think a famous rapper and a ba- and slash another Mike Miller's a basketball player. Um, <laughs> so we've got a third uh, Mike Miller in our midst, uh, but he focuses on the GC, the general contractor, and the development stuff. Uh, you focus on the consumer experience and making sure that things sell. Um, so bringing customers in and making sure they're happy when they leave and staying in touch with them. And, and the short-sightedness uh, that comes up, that has come up in the past, uh, we're not seeing the big picture. I'm, thank you for sharing that. And uh, your insight or your, the, the, what you said is the more I care about other people, the less I have to worry about myself. I think there's a lot to be said for that especially whenever we're looking at different partnership deals and, and things. And I'm, I'm constantly kind of approached by uh, different uh, people uh, about partnerships. And um, I think that is a, a takeaway I will put in my back pocket as well and, and carry with me. So thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your advice with best ever listeners. I hope you have a best ever day. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much. You guys have a great one. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast. The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why... You'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast as he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast.